0: Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be looking at a passage that probably most of you uh, have memorized uh, this morning. It's, uh, it's uh, the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, uh, the, the prayer that we were given to uh, teach us how to pray. Last week we started with uh, the Trinity, talking about the three persons, and we're going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about the separate persons, their role, their place, how they are presented uh, in Scripture. Uh, so today we start with God the Father. Now the concept of God as Father can be a difficult one for some. Especially if you grew up in a home where your father was not all that he should have been. Maybe even perhaps abusive difficult. It becomes hard to imagine God the way he's intended to be imagined. But think about him the way he's intended to be thought about. Because every time you hear the word Father, you simply think about your experience. And that can be hard. But I want to encourage you today, if if that's the position you find yourself in, to not abandon this picture, this truth about who God is. Instead, I invite you to try to recalibrate your thinking, to, to hear afresh and anew what it is to be a father. who it is that he is. Now, As I said, our our passage today is is the model prayer, and so most often we hear it in terms of, this is how you should pray. But I think if you look at verses 7 and 8 that precede the specific prayer, where Jesus says not to babble like the Gentiles, because they imagine they'll be heard for their many words, He says, don't be like them because your Father knows the things you need before you even ask of Him. So our prayers aren't incantations to convince an unwilling being to hear what we have to say. They're not us cajoling Him, nagging Him. They're what? They are a conversation. And whenever you have a conversation, it's good to know who the other person in the conversation is. And how it's appropriate, how appropriate it is to to talk to them in certain ways. And so we read, therefore, pray like this instead. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Who is God our Father? I think Jesus answers that question in numerous ways here in this simple prayer. He tells us who the God is that we pray to, who his Father is, who our Father is. The first thing he tells us is that he is holy. He's holy. 1 Peter one 15 through 15-16 says, "...but as he who called you is holy..." you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now what does that word mean? What what, what do we understand about it? How, How is it used throughout the scriptures? Well, we need to understand, firstly, that holy is a status, not an attribute. It's a status, it's a position. It's a placement. He is holy. He is different. And it is a status that is so overwhelmingly a characteristic of God that it is something that he can actually swear by. Amos 4.2 says, I have sworn by my holiness. It's that part of who he is that's so intricately wrapped up in his position that he uses it as a proclamation of his relationship with us. Now that's odd because Holiness, generally speaking in Scripture, is is not an elevation nor an addition, but a separation. There is a sense in which it renders God unknowable. There's a sense at which it renders God beyond us. And yet, it's the first words in this prayer, and it is what God himself says most characterizes the nature of his relationship with us. It is a transcendent presence. He's bigger than us. He's greater than us. And not just in terms of us being small and him being big, but just in terms of even what we're capable of conceiving He's beyond that. Even in heaven, in the world to come, when we are transformed and changed, glorified according to Scripture, even then there's going to be a part of him we just don't get. song of the saints and the angels in heaven is what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's who he is. And if the discussion stopped there that would be terrifying. To conceive of a of a being someplace who is unknowable and yet also very powerful. That's a frightful condition. That's a frightful mindset. And yet Jesus pairs it with what? With the idea of Father here. He wants us to understand That God's holiness, while it does make him distinct, while it does make him in some sense unknowable, it also makes him the perfect candidate, if you will, for trust. For confidence. I've spoken many times before about my father and how he could be a very hard man. And there were many times throughout my life, my childhood, when I felt like he let me down in one shape or another, as I'm sure my children have felt that way about me at times. But God has never let me. He didn't always do things the way I wanted him to do them. He doesn't answer to me. But he's never let me down. I can trust him. I can put my hope in him. I can put my confidence in him. I can live my life because I know he's in control. Which brings us to the second thing Jesus says about the Father, and that He is sovereign. Verse 10 talks about your kingdom come, your will be done. It's an acknowledgement that His kingdom is the reality that we hope for. It's a reality that will, in fact, and is, in fact, already. In existence. Isaiah forty five seven says I form light and I create darkness, I make well being and create calamity. I am Yahweh who does all these things. He is in control. He is sovereign. We cannot separate this from his other attributes. We can't think about his love or his provision or any other aspect of who he is without also realizing he is in charge. It is the Father's will that guides everything that is. He's not the creator of sin. He does not impinge upon our free will And yet, he is very much in control. And the more I dig into that truth, the more I I contemplate the reality that he has allowed me, you, everyone, free will to make our decisions, to follow our paths, to live our lives, And yet he, even with that, he can still be in absolute, complete control. It's mind-boggling. He's so much in control that he can even take absolute rebellion and use it for his ends. Over and over again in Scripture, we see that. We see... Rebellion take place and God bringing victory out of it. We can see harm occurring because of sin and God bringing his glory and our deliverance through that harm. When life throws us hardships, we lose loved ones. We experience pain. We experience loss. We go through health issues and difficulties. A lot of times that happens just because we live in a fallen world. And while it's always appropriate to ask, is there something I did that this is God's chastisement, to stay there, to dwell there is inappropriate. If you discover something that is beyond that, repent, turn from it, come back to God. But if there's nothing that's evident, if there's nothing that is there that leads you to the conclusion that what's happening to me is chastisement, and that happens more often than not for the believer who's faithful, then the question should not continue to be, what have I done to deserve this? The question should become, Almost immediately, what can I learn about my father through this and what he wants to do with this situation? Where can I go in life and in understanding? Because God's going to do something with this mess in his sovereignty and in his power, he's going to bring beauty from these ashes. He's going to bring life from this death. He's going to bring joy from the sorrow. We can pray that prayer. We can think that thought. We can follow that path because he is sovereign. He's also a providing father. Give us today our daily bread. What a simple prayer. What an extraordinary outlook. Give us bread of today is another way to translate that. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't, don't cut up in the future. Recognize God's provision right here, right now, in this circumstance. Recognize that God does indeed want the best for his children. Jesus will say a little bit later in this message in Matthew chapter 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those that ask Him? I love to spoil my kids. Some might call that a bad trait. I don't But I love to give my kids stuff if I can. And yet I am and can be very selfish. Sometimes I don't like it when I don't get the response I thought I should for my generosity. That's the evil that Jesus is referring to here. Because our Father gives without condition, without reserve. When I look at my life and look at the things that he's led me through, the the opportunities he's provided, I feel so unworthy. Yes, there have been some difficult times. Yes, there have been some times when I was angry with the situation. Angry with him. But great is his faithfulness. There's no shadow of turning with him. What a turn of a phrase. There's not even a hint that he's going to get off track. That's what that sentence means. What he said he will do, he's going to do. Who he said he is, he is. And who he said he is is good. So good. Amy Carmichael wrote this. She said, I had feelings of fear about the future. The devil kept on whispering, it's all right now, but what about afterward? You're going to be so very, very lonely. I turned to my God in a kind of desperation. I said, Lord, what can I do? How can I go on to the end given all that I've lost? He said in his word, none of them that trust in me shall be desolate. And that word has been with me ever since. God does not leave us desolate. He does not leave us without. He provides our sustenance. He provides our life and our hope. He's also very balanced. There's a balance between his accountability and his forgiveness. It's a, a tightrope that we struggle with i struggle with i like to hold grudges i like to make people pay for their mistakes i like to see what i would label justice at work and sometimes i struggle with the forgiveness part But as Jesus reflects here, forgive us our debts, what? As we forgive our debtors. What is he saying there? He's saying the Father, as he relates to us, as he works with us, he holds us accountable for how we treat others, for how we respond to others, for the forgiveness we're willing to give. But what? He's also so very ready to forgive himself. I think a part of what Jesus reflected upon here comes out of the fact that we are created in God's image, that, that God sees his own image reflected in his forgiving children. And so to ask God for what we ourselves refuse to give is to insult him, is to say, you're not really all that worth emulating in what we do. Sometimes when you don't get what you deserve, that's a good thing. Because I know I have deserved punishment, judgment, correction so many times, and yet in his grace and in his love, he has forgiven. He's a protecting father the last of our points. Do not bring us into temptation. Deliver us from evil. We sang a song this morning, How Great the Father's Love for Us. And if you look at the lyrics of the song, most of the song is actually about the work of the Son. what the Son did on the cross. But I don't think the writer is wrong in saying or focusing upon the Father's love because the Father, his role is significant in the cross and what's accomplished there. In Ephesians chapter 1, says blessed is the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in christ for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him he predestined us to be adopted as sons through jesus christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will, for to to praise of his glorious grace that he has lavished on us in the Beloved One. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance, because we are predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and when you also believe were sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit, he is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. To put that into a simple phrase, what Paul simply says here, it's God the Father gives the Son, He seals the saints, and He imparts the Spirit. And in that work, He protects us. We may face hardship, we may face difficulties, we may even face death for His cause and for His purpose, But ultimately, finally, completely, totally, we are protected. We are sealed by him, who is our father. Tim Hansel tells the story of him and his son were out in the country, just hiking and playing on the rocks and the cliffs around their house and so forth. And as he was standing there, he heard his son's voice shout, Hey, Dad, catch me! And he turned around to see that his son had already jumped off the rock, straight at him. He said, I immediately became an instant circus act, catching him. Falling to the ground, but making sure he was safe. He said, for a moment after I caught myself, I couldn't even caught him. I couldn't even talk. When I found my voice again, I gasped in exasperation. Zach, can you give me one good reason why you did that? He said his son looked at him. Simply said, sure, because you're my dad. His whole assurance, his confidence, was based in the fact that his father was trustworthy, that his father would protect him, that his father was capable. he could live life to the hilt because his father was trustworthy. How much more is that true for us? We think of our Heavenly Father. It's time for Christians to start living dangerously. Not recklessly. Not foolishly, but dangerously, with a boldness, with a confidence, with an assurance that we're walking in the presence of a Father who loves us, who protects us, who is in control, who is not limited by the things we're limited by, who can see us through even the darkest and most difficult of situations. It's time for us to start trusting God and stop being overwhelmed by a world that seems so powerful, and so out of control. I promise you it's not. God is still on his throne. Walk with confidence because of that. The question is Will we? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for all that you are. I thank you that you're different. I thank you that you're in control. I thank you that you hold me accountable and yet are also so willing and ready to forgive. I thank you that you provide for my needs. God, I thank you that you protect me. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters, for myself here this morning. that we would come to appreciate and understand that in more vibrant and clear ways in the days ahead. And Lord, I pray that you would lay it on our hearts to, to be more bold, to be more brash, to be a people who very much are living dangerously in your hands. Lord, convict us of those things that are in our life that shouldn't be. Of those things that aren't in our life that should be. And Lord, help us to live in accordance with your will. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.